You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I see a lot of things getting better. I see guys having fun. I see guys helping out one another. I see communication improving. I see our conditioning getting better, our understanding of schemes on both sides getting better. Um, that's what spring ball is for, and I think we've made a lot of strides in five practices. Yeah, it's going by fast. Uh, big message to the guys like yesterday in the meetings. that These reps were like gold. It's flying by. I can't believe we're already six in and uh, kind of getting over the hump, and we're uh, gonna, it's going to be over quick. So they got to need to take advantage of every single rep that they get and enjoy the ones when they're out there and fly around and have fun. Today was far and away our best day as a team. Uh, I saw great enthusiasm. We had a competition day, so we kept track of every rep, offense or defense. Uh, came right down to the end. I, I'm seeing guys start to get it. Uh, guys start to understand our schemes on both sides and, and what we're looking for from a pace standpoint and effort standpoint. Uh, we talk all the time about setting a new standard daily and then trying to beat that standard. And, and we definitely had our best practice today, so it's going to be a challenge Saturday to come out and do better than that. And welcome again here to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robert Washett, Nate Klaus. We are now six practices in the books here as Nebraska just rolling their way through spring, approaching the third of four weeks here uh, as they continue the Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday schedule. We got to see really our only bit of spring practice guys on Tuesday. And, um, you know, it's quite a difference from what we got the last few years under Mike Riley, even under Bo Pelini. But um, we got 30 minutes, and that will be all we'll see until the red-white spring game, at least as of now. And um, it was hard to, um, you know, go in there and, 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 and get a lot out of it. But um, I guess it was good that we le- at least got an eyeball of just how the tempo, how the feel of things are going. And everybody you talk to about practice, uh, parents that go in or high school coaches, whoever, they all say the same thing. Um, There's just very little standing around, a lot of guys running around. Um, it just has a totally different feel, and, and we at least got to see that, Robin, for the first time this week. Yeah, I mean, there's there's not a wasted minute um, in any of those practices, and you know, while we only got to see a glimpse of it, um, that definitely came across. And so all that talk about the pace and the tempo and um, doing everything fast, uh, that's that's certainly true, and we, we saw it with our own eyes. But um, probably for me, uh, the biggest thing that stood out um, was within those first 30 minutes, they were tackling to the ground. And I don't know about you, Sean, but I can't remember a spring practice in a long, long time where there was full-on tackling, uh, basically live. Saturday scrimmages, we've seen that over the years. but Right, but in, in, yeah. So, I mean, uh, outside Tuesday, of those scrimmage yeah. sessions, in the first like warm-up session on a weekday practice, um, that, that, was, that was pretty kind of gl- uh, glaring to me was just the uh, physicality that they're trying to instill in these guys and how you're going to practice like they want you to play. And I think that that was an issue um, in previous staffs that um, they they kind of expected the players to flip a switch when the games came on and you know start playing with this um, in physicality and aggressiveness that you weren't working on in practice. And so I think that is definitely a clear point. Uh, Frost and his staff are trying to uh, push. You know, starting this spring is um, you know we we want you to be aggressive. We want you to be assertive. Take chances. Make plays. And you know you're going to make mistakes, but as long as you're doing it. 100 miles an hour, that's fine. So uh, we definitely saw that, and I think that's going to be one of the interesting things to follow over the offseason as to how that plays out into uh, performance on the field come game day. Yeah, it's a good point about the the tackling, Robin. And I mean, that's something that, that's always been a good question. How do you become a better tackling football team if you don't actually do it in practice? Exactly. And, and I understand the injury risks and everything that are associated with that, but I think we're finally seeing a staff that is – is not 
concerned about that that they want to be a good tackling football team and they're going to go out and do it and and the and I'm sure maybe we'll get into it later but the the comment about the tackling consultant <laughs> that coach Frost had um and was 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 pretty comical um that they they're the coaches they don't need consultants to to do that and, and this all goes back to the rugby tackling yeah. uh, where Nebraska actually paid a company a lot of money I mean like six-figure type money. Yeah, hundreds of thousands of dollars. To teach them a method of tackling, which, by the way, Nate, I still will go to the grave with this statement. I, I sat through that entire session of the coach's clinic, and it was boring as hell. Yes, it was. <laughs> Everyone was asleep during that. You and I were both sitting there, and and we're I was trying to keep my eyes open. Well, Bob Diaco, as we later found out, did not want that at all as a part of the clinic, and basically that was the end of it. That clinic was that Bob Diaco did not bless that at all. And then when it was over, he ended the relationship with that. And it was clearly a Sean Eichhorst directive yep. to have the tackling. And so, I mean, such a lawyer kind of cover our backside if we get sued because of a head injury type of deal. Yeah, it was another yet another policy there. But, uh, you know, and I think the big it was all big picture stuff that, that you're able to take away from the from what little we did see from practice. And uh, and, and one thing that is a lot of the coaches, especially Coach Frost, has said time and time again, is we're going to have fun practicing. And, and I think we saw that. I mean, the energy level um, and just the the feeling around practice, I mean, it was it was early in the morning, but guys were ready to go. Uh, they're, they're, they were competing, even in the drills. I mean, everything was high energy and, and a lot of competition there. Um, and it just looked like everyone was having fun. No one was dragging and moping and hanging their heads or whatever. It just looked like guys were excited and, and you know having fun out there on the football field. Yeah, and you've heard players talk about that too. Is that they they know practices are our grind. You know they're a marathon. You don't stop running, and they are gasping for air twenty minutes after practice gets done. But it's fun. It's not something where they dread going to practice or wish that practice would hurry up and get over. Um, you know, Tanner Farmer is one that said there was points last year when that's how he felt. He's like, God, I just wish that we could just get this over with. He said he has not felt that yet uh, with this new coaching staff. They keep the players engaged. And yes, it's difficult. Yes, they push these guys, but they do it in a manner to where it's not a, a mentally taxing deal. Uh, and I think that goes a long way into maximizing uh, what you're getting out of each and every practice. And not only just from a schedule and pace standpoint, uh, but I think it's, guys are really processing it because of the way that you know the, the player-friendly um, teaching that these coaches are able to get through to the guys. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Robin Washett, as we discuss the Opening thoughts here out of spring ball. And, you know, guys, it was uh, Parents' Day on Tuesday as well. That was kind of interesting. Um, we were doing our interviews at 10 in the morning. And, you know, a- after the fact, we find out there are only two days that parents can come to practice this spring, April 5th, April 10th. And, I mean, it was it was almost astounding how many people took the day off of work to go watch practice because, I mean, I, I bet there were over 50-plus parents, Nate, um, Robin, uh, from what I saw uh, that came in, and um, they're really kind of trying to kind of tighten that up a little bit compared to how it's been in the past. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not an open-door policy like it used to be. And, um, and you know, I, I've got no problem with that, I guess. Uh, I'm not a parent, though, so and there might be some parents that are used to going to every single practice that, that maybe uh, maybe bristle up to that idea. But, um, yeah, I mean, there were a lot of a lot of parents out there that are obviously interested in what's going on, uh, just like we all are, I'm sure. And, and, uh, and so they were kind of taking advantage of being able to, to have an opportunity to go out there and, and see their son compete and, and watch the team uh, practice. And I think the big reason behind 
find that is because of the the pace and just manner in which they go about practices, they don't want things to just be chaotic. And when you have so many people that aren't necessarily in the program standing around the sidelines and, um, you know, just unnecessary crowds, that, that just kind of adds to a, a chaotic feel to your practices. And so um, Frost wants to eliminate every distraction possible to keep guys as engaged on the task at hand as he can. And I think, um, you know, while it some parents probably obviously want to come to practices and watch their kids and, um, you know, do all the things they've been doing for, for in some cases, years. Um, I think that's probably, he's kind of marking his territory. Right. You know, he said, we'll, we'll give you a couple of days. But in the grand scheme of things, we want to keep things as controlled as possible, just because uh, for us to really, like I said, maximize everything that we do, we need these guys 100 percent full attention with no outside distractions. Eliminate those outside voices. And, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit off air. I mean, think about your high school days. I mean, would you really necessarily want your mom and dad at all the practices um you know so why is it any different than in college like um i I think from a coach's perspective parents don't come watch you in high school so why should they always come i think that's and they just want to kind of tighten the reins a little bit and i I think over the years there were a handful of people that maybe took advantage of that whether it's a high school coach or an assistant coach or and they would come to every single practice and um, i think they're just trying to get in front of that yeah. And so I, I don't disagree with it. I mean, obviously, like I said, some people are going to be more upset about it than others. But I think by and large, the reasoning is for the betterment of the program and um, knowing that they have a lot of work to do this off season, And so as, as few distractions you can have each day, the better. And you put it in now when everything's hot. I think if you waited and did this like year one or year after year one or year two, then people would be upset. But the fact that he's brand new in his first spring, you can put these policies into place because whatever Scott Frost does right now, he's not going to get questioned. It is Scott Frost. He is the man coming off a 13-0 season who came back home to Nebraska. So uh, I think this is – if you're going to kind of come out with these stricter policies, uh, this is probably the year to do it. But uh, we've got a full show on tap. We're going to talk more offense and defense. Uh, we're going to bring back a segment of the mailbag, a version of it. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have interns today. They're still in class. Uh, they're booked up all, all day Thursday. But – Uh, We are going to take the best of the RSS chat and bring that to you this week in a mailbag segment on spring practice. And then we'll get the latest from Nate Klaus on recruiting. Uh, Big Junior Day, Nebraska hosted a number of visitors as well during the week. That's all next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You know, they're all doing really good things. Uh, been happy with the quarterback group. They got the best quarterback coach in the country, and I see improvement every day. I thought we had our best practice as a quarterback group today. Every one of those guys is making plays when they get their turns, and we're trying to split up the reps evenly right now. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was head coach Scott Frost on the cor- on the quarterback situation here this spring. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus as we go into our offensive storyline segment. And let's start with the quarterbacks, guys. Uh, I mean – Let's not pretend we couldn't really tell much on what we got to see in practice, um, you know. And I think that's by design. You're just not gonna the way they're repping these quarterbacks, Robin. Um, they're making it fairly equal. They're switching who gets to go out first every day. You're gonna have a heck of a time really kind of deciding who that number one guy is right now. Yeah, it's as wide open as it was on day one, as far as I'm what we've been able to gather. And um, when you ask the coaches about it, they tell you the same thing. I don't think anyone in that group has 
truly separated. Um, I think uh, obviously guys have good days and bad days and no one has really done enough to take control of that position just yet. And I don't think that is necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I think that means that you probably have some decent depth in that room. Uh, and, you know, guys are still just trying to, to master what is a, you know, pretty, um, I don't want to say overly complex offense, but it's an offense in which the quarterback is such a pivotal part to everything they do that, uh, I mean, they got to be as dialed in as anybody. And, you know, that's obviously the case for most systems, but especially from what we've seen um, with the just the dual threat versatility aspects of the position that I think this is going to be a situation that goes throughout the spring, through the summer, and maybe even well into fall camp before we get any true idea of where that pecking order is in that quarterback room. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that that I was able to take away is that a guy like Noah Vedral, who is comfortable with the system, I mean, obviously uh, had a showed or displayed a, a great command of what he was doing out on the football field. Whereas you could tell some of the other guys maybe weren't as uh, making decisions as quite as quickly as Noah was. Um, you know, but again, I mean, the the reps it's fast paced. They're they're shuffling guys in and out of there. Uh, and, and they're all getting a ton of reps, so um, it was really it was kind of difficult to to tell exactly who's where. Things that I've seen and heard, I'll say this: I think uh, Adrian Martinez physically, um, he is well ahead of the curve. I, I I knew he was put together, but seeing him on the field in pads, um, he's built better than your typical freshman. Uh, Noah Vedral, you know, he's comfortable back there. He knows the system. Um, you know, and, and, and he's going to be good. Uh, unfortunately, he can't play this year. Otherwise, I think he would have a shot at this deal um, if he was eligible to play. Jebbia has probably the best arm. I mean, you know, I've heard multiple people say he makes – he made a couple of throws, I know, on Tuesday, a couple of deep ball-type throws uh, that that were right on the money that, that kind of set the tone for practice. Um, and, you know, Andrew Bunch, um, I'll say this, he surprised me as a guy that could fit in this system. I'm not saying he's going to start – but he gives you at least a good, you know, second, third option down the line uh, because I, I think everybody anticipates someone's going to leave. When, who, how that happens, Robin, it's hard to say right now. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's why there's, there's stu- still so much left to be learned about this group that right now it's just all guessing game. And the fact is we've seen a grand total of 30 minutes of spring practice. And so any of our evaluations are basically uh, – <laughs> You know, they are what they are. And so um, then you ask, you know, the Mario Verduscos and Scott Frost, and, you know, they, they're not giving you any hints whatsoever. So that, that's why I say this is going to be an ongoing situation to where, you know, every time we get a chance to talk with those offensive guys, uh, we're going to ask about the quarterbacks. And until we start getting some, you know, clear-cut, defined updates on where things actually stand, um, this thing is going to get no clearer than it was, you know, a month ago. Yeah, I don't think that we're going to get a clear-cut, defined answer until <laughs> probably at yeah. some point during fall camp exactly. is, is my takeaway from all this is uh, that they're they're just wanting these guys to go out and compete and and to to learn in the film room and and to have their nose in the playbook and and to get a bunch of bodies ready to roll uh, and then kind of shake things out once fall camp rolls around. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus. We're talking offensive storylines and uh, offensive line is kind of hard to read. Mainly because you know I, I think they're they're we know who the tackles are Farniak and and obviously uh, Hymas and then Foster and Farmer seem solidified at guard with Bo Wilson being kind of the next guy but the center position is still pretty clouded uh, Cole Conrad just came back uh, he was working twos and threes on Tuesday I was told 
Um, then, you know, you, you've got a young redshirt freshman, Hunter Miller, who looks like a young redshirt freshman, but has potential as a walk-on. Michael Decker, not available right now. So um, the offensive line, they've got guys with experience to work with, uh, but I just don't know if we're going to get as good of a read on this group until fall camp rolls around in August. Yeah, the center position is still uh, kind well, of. What's going to be Decker if he's healthy, right? Yeah, you know. But again, you know, we, we haven't even seen him take give a snap in this offense yet, and so uh, they're really kind of working with what they have. And so it's going to be a completely different situation uh, when fall rolls around. How they're going to divide up those reps and who's going to you know work with the first team offenses. And uh, so I mean, that's probably the the biggest question. And then after that, you know, you mentioned the starters, but how that depth shakes out behind them, particularly at tackle. Um, you know, I think that that's still a bit of a concern right now is just the lack of proven depth at those tackle spots. And, you know, we've seen injuries can come in bunches, uh, especially on the offensive line. And um, who is going to be ready to step in and play if, you know, one of those top guys were to go down? I think they have a little bit more luxury inside at guard, um, but the, the, the backups too, that the Hymases and Farniaks, um, that, that's going to be maybe next to center the biggest question, you know, over the course of the offseason. Yeah, actually, I think tackle is going to be the biggest question because – Right now, at least, I, I think that um, I think Decker's got a good chance of being the guy, and you're de- you're able to develop some some depth or, or kind of bring some guys along there uh, with with guys like Hunter Miller and and uh, you know the others getting some some reps there. But you know, like you said, the the key word there at offensive tackle is unproven talent. You've got Hymas who actually came in last year and, and showed you you know showed great promise. Uh, and Farniak played a little bit last year, but behind those two guys, you got Christian Gaylord at, at left tackle, who and really, Sichterman. yeah, who really hasn't done anything in his career to this point, and Matt Sichterman at right tackle, who's coming off of a redshirt season. So, uh, I mean, some big question marks behind behind the at least what we think are going to be the starters at tackle, right? And now. I have heard that um, Gaylord has taken a step forward. So that if that is true. Uh, that's a step in the right direction. That would this, that'd be a good sign. This is a kid that was offered by Ohio State in high school. So um, the potential's there, but just something, you know, everyone's motivated differently. And you hope maybe a new staff coming in, a new culture, a new program, maybe will motivate a guy like Christian Gaylord a little bit more to, to make a run here. And, you know, we all do this. If a guy doesn't contribute in his first two years, you just kind of give up on him. Well, but he's been in the program for three. More, yeah. Well, redshirt year, this is his third year in the program total. Uh, he's a sophomore going into his junior year, right? He's got two more years left after this yeah, year. Yeah, um, So, yeah, you hope maybe his junior and senior year he, he turns it on. But um, real quick, guys, receiver, you know, I've heard a lot of good things about Ty John Lindsay. Um, I know his speed and, and kind of how he's made up. Nate, you've seen him as much as anybody. Um, I just think it's going to be a better fit for him going forward. Yeah, it's going to be a much better fit for him going forward. I think uh, – Especially with the way they they want to try and utilize some of these guys. Uh, I mean, uh, what's the interesting thing with Tyjon Lindsay is uh, his idol is DeAnthony Thomas, and and those. I mean, he grew up idolizing DeAnthony. They actually know each other very very well. Um, and you, guess what? Well, DeAnthony was a star at Oregon, uh, it, and Coach Frost was there. And so I think these guys have similar similar skill sets. And and I feel like uh, you know in the big picture of things, uh, Tyjon probably is a much better fit here than he would have been in the other offense. I'll say one guy that I'm particularly intrigued with, uh, just with the, the brief you know, six practices we've seen, but uh, Justin McGriff, uh, I mean, obviously he was like one of those hybrid type guys, was he, he going to be a tight end or a receiver? They're starting him out at wide out, 
And at 6'6", 220, with arms that seemingly go down to his knees, that is a potential matchup nightmare that Nebraska could use as a, a pretty dangerous red zone weapon. And man, he just he looks the part of a t- the type of receiver that uh, Nebraska hasn't had in a while. Uh, and so you know you talk about needing more of those big body types that um, can bail you out. Um, you know, along with the tight ends they have, who are all freakishly long and tall, um, there's going to be some serious mismatches. And I have no doubt that this coaching staff is going to find as many ways as possible to utilize them. All right, when we come back, we're going to switch the conversation to defense and a lot of newcomers making some noise. That's all next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. The role was, it's it's a blessing to be honest with you because I'm glad Coach Ross gave me the opportunity to get a shot to play here. So I I don't really want to talk about the other teams right now because I'm I'm a Cornhusker now, so that's all that matters. I think, yeah, it's definitely an advantage where going somewhere where where there's an old staff, everybody would have an idea of what we were doing, but it's kind of a level playing field right now. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. You heard from a couple of newcomers there, defensive back Deontay Williams and linebacker Will Honus, Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus. And it was newcomer week. We got to talk to the four junior college transfer players here uh, for the first time on Tuesday. Will Honus, Deontay Williams, wide receiver uh, Mike Williams, and then I'm missing a guy. In Greg there. Bell. Greg Bell, the running back. But uh, I want to stick on the subject of these defensive newcomers um, because I feel like there's three guys that are newcomers that could all be black shirts by August. Uh, linebacker Will Honus, defensive back Deontay Williams, and if he's cleared by the NCAA, linebacker Breon Dixon. I want to first start uh, with Will Honus because I think other than maybe the fact that he doesn't like to talk a lot, but I don't think that matters, um, he has been everything advertised to be at least through this point. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the one guy that I think – I would be stunned if he's not a starter on day one. Um, He just looks every bit the part, and you can see the staff is putting him in a position to take on a leadership role. And you don't do that with a guy who just set foot on campus, you know, a few weeks ago, if you don't truly believe he is going to be a fixture on your defense. We see things to where, you know, Sean, you mentioned this in your Tuesday observations, to where, like, he's the guy catching the punt at the end of uh, warm-ups to get the team fired up. And then when they do the clapping thing, you know, he's in the middle, um, you know, help new in the clap. And so, I mean, those are the types of things that I think are part of a long-term deal that this staff is trying to get with him. Because um, that was one of the things that, uh, you know, I think it was Frost mentioned um, on Tuesday, was that, you know, that he's got everything intangibly is fine. He's from a talent standpoint, he's there. But now they need him to be the vocal leader, the quarterback of the defense, the guy making the calls, barking at, you know, his teammates. And I think that's just something that will develop with time as he gets more comfortable in his new surroundings. But um, I mean, I think the ceiling is really, really high for him as we all expected. And it hasn't taken long for that to play out. Yeah, I think they're they're putting him in position to kind of take this thing and run with it. Uh, but he's going to have to earn it along the way, obviously. But uh, Barrett Rood said, uh, following Thursday's practice, that that he's doing really, really well. The the prob or the where he's at right now is just. Uh, continuing to learn and to you know make that transition uh, to to a new defense, obviously as everyone else is. Uh, but I, I think they're just throwing a lot of a lot of things at him so that he can take it and run with it and, and be that guy. 
Let's move on on the outside linebacker. You've got Breon Dixon, the old Miss transfer, and I think a big piece of the puzzle remains. Will him and Shea Patterson, the Michigan quarterback now that left Old Miss, be granted immediate eligibility by the NCAA? That we don't know yet. Uh, there's still no indication um, that it is. I just talked to one of our colleagues at Michigan, our former friend Michael Spath, and he says the feeling right now is Patterson uh, 7525. They think he'll be cleared. So uh, if that's the case, it's 7525 right now that uh, Dixon will be cleared. Well, just based on what I've heard, what others have seen in practice, um, I have a hard time thinking that he won't be a starter. I think he's kind of that hybrid piece that can cover, that can play the edge. Um, you know, and they, they didn't have a guy like that, and, and they need that type of player in this defense. Well, I think he's, the, the coverage aspect of that is really what separates him. I mean, obviously they have linebackers that are stout and able to play against the run and rush the passer, but being able to drop back and have the coverage skills of a defensive back makes him an extremely um, versatile and intriguing piece in this defense. And, I mean, obviously they're going to be looking for their next Shaquem Griffin. Um is he that good? I don't know. I mean, obviously Griffin was a special player, but uh, he fits that mold as far as translating those skill sets to, to being that guy that can rush off the edge, can play the run, and can also drop back and cover like a DB. And so if, if he is eligible, I'm with you, Sean. I think he vaults to the very top of that depth chart at outside linebackers and a fixture in that defense all year long. And it's going to be hard for a guy like Luke Gifford. To, I mean, him and Luke Gifford will really battle that when Gifford yeah, comes and, back. And Gifford does have those skills too, as we all saw. I mean, obviously he was recruited as a safety, but but uh, Breon Dixon is a little bit different of an athlete, not only from Luke Gifford, but from a lot of guys on that defense. Yeah, and the thing about Breon is is that that's exactly what he was recruited for. And I remember talking with him after he visited Nebraska and, and asked him what position he'd be playing, and and he didn't say. All he said was that he's going to be a defensive weapon, and and I think that's that's a perfect way to describe it because he can do so many different things in the, in this system. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk newcomers, and let's talk Deontay Williams now. Uh, he came in as a newcomer. You know, he was committed out of high school to both. Florida and Georgia failed to qualify, but then Frank Solitz tried to get him. He signed with Ohio, then never made it to Ohio, went to Jones County, got hurt. Um, I did some research. He's, I mean, they haven't had a lot of three for three JUCOs. Randy Gregory, France Hardy, uh, and Larry Asante, I believe, are the only three, Nate, uh, as far as three for threes that I can remember. Um, so getting a guy, Nate, for three for three. Um, is big, but you know this is a guy that can play safety. He can play corner. He can play nickel. Um, he's going to play on this defense. I, I have no doubt about it. Yeah, he's going to play. I think he's going to play a lot, uh, especially with his versatility. I mean, that the defensive secondary. I mean, there's a lot of question marks back there right now, um, and and so he's got an opportunity, especially coming in early, to to play corner, to play nickel, to play safety, to find a spot in, in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different packages to back there because he is such a versatile kid. I mean, and you you kind of ran through the his recruitment. I mean, this is a kid a lot of a lot of different people wanted. He he comes from uh, great bloodlines. His father played in the NFL. So, I mean, this is uh, he's got an opportunity here this spring to really make some noise and, and to do a lot of different things in the secondary. Well, not only is he versatile, he can, he can lay the wood, too. I mean, that's one of the things that everybody that watches him play says about him, to the point where Scott Frost said on Tuesday they've actually had to tell him to back it off a little bit uh, because he was hitting too hard and, you know, they didn't want to risk injury. So um, that's the kind of player that he brings that defense 
offense. And if you got a guy that can cover at three different positions, play the run, and then have, be, have that big hit ability, that's everything this staff is looking for in offensive back. And so, I mean, he's going to play and probably play in a few different spots. And Nate, you don't see a lot of Mississippi Juco's get to Nebraska, and they've got two this year, Mike Williams, Deontay Williams, no relation, then Byerson Cockerell before that. But before Byerson Cockerell, it's it's hard to even come up with any other Mississippi Juco's. Yeah, I don't know if I can off the top of my head name name a Mississippi Juco before Byerson. There's just a lot of quote-unquote elements that keep those kids from getting out of Mississippi or out of the SEC. There's well, just a lot of <laughs> – There's a lot of, a lot of different factors uh, <laughs> at, at play when you're talking about the Mississippi Juco uh, you know, world. Uh, it's, it's, there's yeah, a lot of – uh, whether it be academic or or some uh, <clears throat> some off the off the books type of activities that are that are taking place, but um, yeah, it's generally not a place that Nebraska has has been able to to go. And, Nor do they really want to go down there. Very exactly. Often. Or or do you necessarily even want to enter that world? But um, yeah, I, I do think that they got a steal here with Deontay Williams. Yeah, because to me, a three for three December guy. It's almost amazing that the SEC let him get out of there, because a three for three December guy is like the white the the, the white elephant or the unicorn of junior college players. You don't find that guy no, very you, often. You don't find it very often, especially being a December grad. Uh, I mean, that's that's about as rare as it gets, unless you were a qualifier out of high school. So, uh, for a non qualifier to be a three for three, December that was once grad, a Florida Georgia commit. Exactly. It's yeah. That's how how Nebraska was able to get him. How all the SEC teams kind of dropped the ball on on getting him back on their campus. I, I don't know, but I have a feeling that Nebraska is, is going to look like uh, look pretty smart for for getting him. Well, and it's the December. I mean, he was a December signing anyway, but I think the December signing day. It just helped expedite the process where you could maybe find a guy like that. Where before, you know, if it was January and he was available, I don't know if they would have got him in, Jan- well, in January. I, I'll tell you what I think probably played a large part in this is uh, the fact that he's originally from Jacksonville, and and this coaching staff has great ties in the state of Florida. So uh, I think they had their ear to the ground and had a pretty good pulse on this whole situation. And I, I know that that played a factor, and and them ended up getting him too. All right, when we come back, we're going to take your questions in the mailbag, and uh, t- it's going to be a different mailbag than what you're used to, but we're going to take the best of the RS chat and bring a mailbag segment back here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. People find out, like, I have a couple uh, East Mississippi jackets, and uh, I'll wear it, like, sometimes, and people ask me, was I on the show? I'll be like, no, and uh, they'll be like, how's Coach Stevens and stuff like that. What was it like? Yeah, I was. <laughs> Good coach. <laughs> Did you wait, yell that by him before? Uh... Everybody did. <laughs> and welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. As I wasn't there for the show. I was, I was there to, to succeed and, and help the team and, and get where I want to go, which is here. Sorry about that, Mike Williams. Uh, welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was junior college transfer Mike Williams uh, discussing his time at East Mississippi Community College, uh, better known as Last Chance U. And, um, you know, he wasn't a part of the TV show, but, um, you know, was there the year after. So, a lot of people bring that up to him in discussion. He was their leading receiver on a national championship team this past year. But it's time for the mailbag. And, you know, we unfortunately don't have our lovely interns, David and Matt, here in studio. Uh, they're in class. They're both set to graduate here coming up. So um, we're going to tweak the mailbag a little bit. 
Um, you know, we get great questions every week in the RSS chat, um, several. I mean, it's the busiest Husker chat on the internet. So what we're going to do is just take some of the best questions from the chat and kind of bring them on here um, to to the chat uh, or to the uh, the podcast, excuse me about uh, But first question, Peyton Newell question. A lot of people have asked about him because uh, the portion of the media was able to see, um, you know, there was some talk about him being a grad transfer, um, you know, about maybe Kansas State, but kind of where is he at right now behind Stoltenberg? Well, I'll start. I think he is a guy that, is battling to maybe be a number two right now. I mean, Stoltenberg we know is the guy, but to me it really comes down to Damian Daniels versus Peyton Newell. And Damian Daniels is bigger. He's heavier. Um, he just hasn't played. Now, Newell hasn't played really significant snaps either. So it's a matter of kind of what direction they want to go and how many guys they really want to play at that position. Yeah, I think they do want to rotate a lot just because of the volume of plays they anticipate uh, being on the field for. So, I mean, there's going to be opportunity for those second, third, maybe in some cases fourth team guys to see some decent game action. So I think, you know, the more bodies you can have, the better. But I think just, you know, from a potential standpoint, I would probably lean more towards Damian Daniels. I mean, obviously he was a guy that almost played last year. He was offered by Alabama. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, and you know, to Peyton Newell's credit, he had a pretty lofty uh, offer list too. But for some whatever reason, uh, it just hasn't materialized. And so, you know, you got a guy that's kind of on his last leg, last opportunity here to finally, um, you know, make most of his career. Or, you know, you're essentially nose tackle of the future in Damian Daniels. So I, you know, I think that if I'm a coach, you know, if you're talking about, you know, playing a guy behind your your starting senior, I would probably lean more towards Daniels. But um, with Stoltenberg being out, you know, he was seen on crutches after Thursday's practice. So we're not sure what his status is. That's provided even more reps for all those guys uh, to, to show what they can do. And, you know, that's obviously all you can ask for if you're Peyton Newell. Now, obviously they're doing other things too, like rotating the Davis twins inside more, uh, but getting some of those, you know, versatile guys that can play inside and out. But, um, you know, I think by and large, it's uh, probably a deal where it's going to be, uh, can Peyton Newell hold off Damian Daniels come fall camp? All right, I want to move it on. Next question um, as we covered the ground. Nate, what kind of gains did Mikael Wilbon make just physically when you saw him at practice? Well, I think that uh, he's obviously added a lot of a, a lot of mass. I, I feel like upper he's body. He's doing the curls, as RSS yeah, well, would say. Yeah, he's definitely doing the curls. I mean, as far as as the the gun show, I think Mikael Wilbon may be leading that that crew, especially in the running back room. Um, but he's, I mean, his lower body too is massive. I mean, he's got he's got some tree trunks for some legs. Um, I mean, he's always had big legs, but uh, I, I definitely feel like he he definitely took advantage of of Zach Duvall's winter conditioning program. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of, you know, Greg Bell, I've heard a lot of good things about him, but, you know, can, can Ozigbo, can uh, a guy like Wilbon make a jump here in their last year at Nebraska? I mean, both these guys had every opportunity to be the guy. Was it as much the offensive line as not as them not being able to maybe break an arm tackle? That's what we really don't have a good read. So I, I think that running back race – um, it, it is going to be interesting to follow to kind of see what direction they go. Um, moving on here, uh, question on the coaching staff here. We uh, w- w- The question was, uh, who, who is the most vocal coach, Robin, that you've seen in practice? Vocal coach. I mean, I think it's an easy answer if you're asking go me. Go for it. You go, you go first. Verduzco. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't even know as if it's animated. Yeah, yeah, animated, yeah. I, I mean, just watching him, I was surprised, honestly, how vocal Sean Becton was. Though. He mm-hmm. really was getting after it in practice, too. 
Well, and uh, uh, Troy Walters, Walters to me, yes. he, he was a high-energy guy. Uh, I mean, he was running all over the place, uh, coaching up his, his wideouts and, and very involved in, in all aspects, I thought. I, I felt – I mean, Verdusco is very, very involved too, but uh, I, I felt like Walters is right there. I finally found it. Mike Dawson. I mean, he might be the loudest just in general coach out there. I had to turn my interview sound down because it was over-modulating <laughs> today. you got to appreciate it. You're not going to misquote him because yeah. you know, he's probably about as loud as it gets. And so, yeah, I like, I like Mike Dawson. All right, you're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we take the questions in the RSS chat um, here on the mailbag segment this week. Got a question on John Raritan. How is he progressing? Where are they using him? And uh, I, I think, to me, everyone always wants to know why a guy's not playing. Well, for a guy like Reardon, he's going to have to beat out Farmer and Foster, and I just don't see that right now. I, I think those guys still have a leg up on him. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think it's a pretty big gap too. But and then especially when you throw in Bo Wilson in yeah. the equation there, I think Bo can play either. He'll be the next guy up on either side, um, if I were to guess right now. So, you know, it's I think he's got an opportunity to play. Obviously, in a lot of cases, you're a snap away from seeing playing time. But as the way things stand right now, I think there's a pretty um, big gap between those top guys and then the next group. Yeah, and I, th- I think John was was a guy that that had a little little bit of ways to go um, in the you know physical or phys- physically you know to to kind of get his body to where it needed to be, uh, and then I, I almost felt like he needed to drop some weight uh, by the time last year finished. So uh, I do think that he's going to be in the mix and, and maybe be a swing guy like a Bo Wilson, be somebody who can play left or right guard. Got a good question here from Beaverball23. Uh, what percentage of confidence would you put on Trey Bryant playing football again, and which receivers have stood out to you? I would say it's a pretty good chance we'll see Trey Bryant in August. Um, I Just looking at him on Tuesday, he was fully engaged, in my opinion, and they have given no indication that he won't be back. As, receiver, as far as receivers, usual suspects, Spielman, Morgan. Uh, but I, I look for Tyjon Lindsey to make a jump. I think Mike Williams is going to be a factor from what we've heard and seen already. And then uh, McQuitty. I mean, I think McQuitty um, could make a big jump as redshirt freshman. Yeah, I think Bryant, they're being extremely careful with him. Uh, and Scott Frost said they were going to. So that's no surprise. Uh, they want to make sure he's as close to 100% as possible for the fall. Uh, so he will be back in pads in fall camp, if I were to guess. And receivers, I mean, kind of named all of them. So, uh, But I think you know, this is the easiest one. I think Stanley Morgan Jr. is even better than I thought he was going to be. I mean, that dude has NFL written all over him. And if, you know, everything comes to fruition, he could have the best season Nebraska wide receiver has had in this program's history. Yeah, I think if Stan stays healthy, he's he's going to shatter some records, has the opportunity to shatter some this fall. As far as Trey Bryant goes, I mean, I think it's anybody's guess because no one even knows what the injury is, where he's at in his recovery. Uh, I do think that, obviously, they said they are going to be very careful with him, and, and they are, but I don't know if anyone honestly has even a clue of what's going to transpire next fall or, or where he's going to be at in the road to his recovery. Okay, last question here as we make through the mailbag here. Um, uh, Fitz just 21 asks, compared to last year or even the year before, is there just more enthusiasm in practice? Are guys having more fun? And I always have a hard time. I mean, we've been, unfortunately, guys, we've been through a lot of these coaching changes. And, you know, I, I it's kind of the same every time in year one. Oh, guys are really having they're flying around, and that's happening. There's no doubt. But I think to truly analyze it, you want to kind of look at it more in year two and kind of when adversity hits. But at, yes, as of right now, I do think 
you see that enthusiasm. And it, it, it starts with the coaching staff. You can just sense how important coaching for Nebraska is to these guys, where I don't know if that was always the case with Mike Riley's staff before. I thought coaching at Nebraska was more just a job to some of these guys, um, where with these with this new staff, you can sense the importance of what this job means, and they understand the people in this state, the layout of this state, and that translates to the players, and I, I hope that leads to better success on the field. Yeah, I think the continuity with the staff plays a big part of that. When you have an entire staff all 100% on the same page, you're not mixing and matching a bunch of coaches from different spots and trying to blend on the fly along with um, you know, getting your players all on the same page. So I think that's a big reason, too. But another part of it um, is that everybody's engaged. You know, you don't have guys standing around watching the first and second teamers practice. They're Literally, everyone is taking a rep at all times. And that, in itself, I think creates better enthusiasm and atmosphere in practice because uh, guys are getting opportunities to get on film and show what they can do. And as a player, that's all you can ask for. Yeah. And, and the other aspect of all that too is is uh, you know how how bought in are you? Um, you know we know with the last coaching change there were a lot of guys who didn't want there to be a coaching change, and, and now I think this is a hungry group of guys. They're they're coming off of a, a terrible season that nobody wanted to happen, uh, and they're excited to be coached by a, you know a staff that just went undefeated last year, and, and they're fully engaged, they're fully bought into everything, and I think they're enjoying it and having fun with it. All right. Nebraska had a junior day, a number of visitors, about 40 on campus, and they had a few more visitors as well with offers that came in this week. We're going to close the show with some thoughts on recruiting. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus as we talk some recruiting, Nate, and it was a big weekend. I mean, there was Around 40 guys that came on campus for Junior Day. Uh, then during the week, Nebraska hosted three different players with scholarship offers. So um, in terms of the spring season, that's about as much as you're going to have going on in a week. Um, and they're going to have another Junior Day this week before the Red-White Spring Game. And next weekend is the coaches' clinic, so they're not going to have any recruits in on Saturday. But uh, first of all, initial thoughts, feedback that you got from that opening junior day. Well, yeah, I mean, first of all, I, I think a lot of people kept saying, well, why is recruiting so slow and blah, blah, blah. And But now it's officially really kicked off. And, and once they've been able to get these players on campus, I, I think that we're really going to see them kind of start to ride a lot of momentum here because the feedback from last weekend's junior day was just off the charts. I mean, everyone was excited from what they saw and, and just the overall experience. Uh, like you said, there was over 40 kids there. Uh, the, it was, the first one was kind of geared more towards your in-state prospects. I think virtually every top 2019 and 2020 in-state kid was, was on campus uh, for the most part, and some of the kids that weren't able to go last weekend will definitely be on campus this this coming weekend. Uh, so I think that was a, a very good move. And then um, you had a handful of kids that that are top two fifty type, you know, four star prospects that that have offers from the Huskers already that made their way to campus. Um, obviously, you had the two commits, Ethan Piper, Garrett Snodgrass, uh, that were there. Four star running back Ramir Johnson. 
is arguably you know with their one of their top overall running back targets right now. They offered him shortly after they got the job at Nebraska. Uh, he had a tremendous visit. Marcus Hicks, a four-star defensive end out of Wichita, um, you know, arguably the top player or one of the top players uh, in the 500 mile radius. Definitely the top guy in the state of Kansas this year. Um, that visit was extremely important because he's taken a ton of different trips, and in this trip, I think uh, solidified Nebraska is at least being one of the, his top teams and that he's considering going forward. Said he's p- definitely planning on coming back next fall. Uh, EJ and Doma Ogar, uh, Rivals 250 offensive lineman from Allen, Texas. I mean, Allen, Texas is a powerhouse program, uh, and he loved his trip too. Uh, very impressed with with Scott Frost and, and Greg Austin. Uh, and and the, the list kind of goes on, uh, a couple 2020 guys with offers. So uh, it was a very productive weekend, uh, both from top you know top prospects that, that made their way in from all over the country, plus uh, the, the big in-state crowd. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Nate. Uh, I mean, as far as no one committed, but did you get the sense that at least they moved the ball with a couple of these guys that that could, you know, you know, Marcus Hicks particularly. Yeah, most definitely, and that's the thing. There were no commitments. There were no new offers that that necessarily went out. So not a lot of movement on that front. But this was, you know, th- this is a deal where a meet and greet kind yeah, of get to know these guys. Well, I, I think a lot of these players have been kind of keeping Nebraska uh, within arms arms length, so to speak, and, and kind of trying to trying to get a, a good p- pulse for what's what's going on following the coaching change and uh, and this the opportunity to kind of be on campus and be around the staff see you know talk with the players on the team and kind of get a feel for everything that's going on all the changes that have have kind of happened over the past few months I think was crucial um, and and they liked what they saw and so this was kind of the first step in in gaining commitments I, I do think that they have a shot at at eventually gaining commitments from these guys uh, pretty much all the offered prospects said that they planned on coming back to Nebraska so that that's now the key is is getting these guys back uh, whether it's for an official visit in the fall or for you know once again in the summertime so uh, they did move the ball in, in that regard and, and kind of solidified themselves as one of their top choices going forward now Nate uh, they had a couple of more guys three guys with offers come in this week as well yeah really impressive group of midweek uh, official or un official visitors rather um, yeah Chris Hickman a tight end from Omaha Burke who's who's obviously a, a key target here being one of the top in-state players uh, in, in Nebraska for 2019 uh, has a number of other offers has been visiting another a number of other schools and Braden Librock uh, who's a, another tight end who's out of Chandler Arizona and this kid's absolutely blown up here over the past month or two uh, he's 6'5", 215 pounds uh, Hickman you know the kind of have the similar skill set, similar bodies, uh, both 6'5", about 210, 215, or, or right in that neighborhood. Um, and, and, you know, Librock playing for Chandler High School, uh, I think they played for the state championship last year, um, and, and he's been extremely productive, especially on the 7-on-7 seven seven circuit. Uh, both of them are kind of hybrid tight end types, so uh, I think they're, they're coveted in this offense, certainly, uh, because of their versatility and, and their ability to – 
that kind of create mismatches on the football field. And then John Olmstead, who is a, a, a Rivals 100 offensive tackle out of New Jersey. Obviously, offensive tackle or offensive line in general, but especially offensive tackle, is is a position in this recruiting class that I think is is of a huge need. Uh, and Olmstead is one of the top players in the country, and and he's been very impressed with Nebraska. They've been recruiting him extremely hard, uh, and so he was not unable to make it in for the spring game. But he's he just recently released a top ten, and he's pretty much taken a tour of of all ten schools. Uh, he's been to a handful already, but Nebraska is going to have their shot with him, uh, you know, on Friday. And and I think that um, you know I have no reason to believe that that won't be a, a productive visit for the Huskers. Nate, and Nebraska is going to have another junior day this weekend. I know uh, we're still kind of getting all the details pieced together, but any, anything you can share right now on that next junior day? Well, yeah, definitely. Uh, you, you're going to have your the third uh, commit make his way to town. Garrett Nelson out of Scotts Bluff uh, will will be on on campus. Um, you know, and it kind of so now the Huskers will have had all three of their commitments on on campus for uh, able to watch practice and whatnot. Uh, maybe the headliner of the group right now at this point in time is Danielson Ek, uh, rivals two forty or two fifty uh, offensive tackle out of Kansas City. Uh, you know, one of the top offensive linemen in the 500-mile radius. And, um, you know, he'll be on campus this weekend uh, for the for the junior day and an opportunity once again to kind of be around the coaching staff, get to know these guys a little bit better. Uh, Brees Hall is a, a running back out of Wichita Northwest, actually same high school as Marcus Hicks. They're teammates, uh, but Brees wasn't able to make it last week. Uh, so he'll be here, uh, as will Thomas Grayson, who's a, a running back out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, Booker T. Washington that the Huskers have offered. Uh, so it's going to be kind of an interesting dynamic there, having two of your top running back targets on campus at the same time. Um, you know, and then of course Xavier Betts, who we haven't talked about yet, but uh, the the 2020 wide receiver out of Bellevue West was on campus last weekend. Had such a great time that he's planning to come back to Junior Day once again this weekend. Uh, and and I think that that's a good sign for the Huskers getting a kid uh, who's who's arguably the top player, uh, not not just in Nebraska for 2020, but arguably one of the top overall players in the region for 2020 to on campus uh, for two Junior Days and then a spring game here. Uh, over the next couple of weeks. So that's a very good sign for the Huskers. Well, it's going to be a very, very busy weekend again on the side as uh, more junior days to preview and cover uh, on the recruiting front and obviously visitors in and out here for the next couple of weeks before the red-white game. So uh, lots to follow, lots to keep tabs again. Uh, so make sure you log on to HuskerOnline.com as we're always going to give you the latest on what's going on in the world of Husker recruiting. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.